Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project Season 5, Episode 8. And today I can't wait. Uh, it's as far as I can rhyme, but I, I'm excited what we're going to talk about today because it's something that's near and dear to my heart, but is also now in the past week popped up in a larger context and it's really cool so uh basically there's a video that came out this past week from it's a collaboration between mr who's the boss and marquez brownlee and it kind of covers a lot of the stuff that that i go over in my ethics statement and that we've talked about on this podcast many many times and i wanted to kind of dissect it and talk about it a little bit because i think that it is pretty darn cool so in the show notes to this episode will be a link to the full video. So if you want to see everything in its full context, you can do that. But I just wanted, they broke the video down into five points. So I'm essentially going to touch on the five points, share some clips from the video, and then sort of like expand on that from my point of view a bit. But there's a couple of reasons this is interesting. A big one is, as you probably know by now, um, I... I really like and I'm super proud of the ethics statement that I put together now it's like a year and a half ago to to help guide like brand partnerships, sponsored stuff, free products, all that stuff. We, we've talked about it a lot. I probably don't need to, you know, rehash all of that. Uh, but there's a couple interesting things about that, which the first being when I came up with the ethics statement and I first put it out there, I actually got a lot of messages, maybe not a lot, a handful of messages from people who were trying to help, but what they were basically saying was, you're shooting yourself in the foot with this thing. Like, nobody's going to want to work with you if this is how you're approaching it, and you're doing yourself a disservice, you're limiting opportunities. And that was kind of scary to hear, but it was also like, well, my goal isn't to try to be a commercial for brands and companies and stuff. So if I want to do these things, I want to do it on my own terms. This statement that I had like put together and pieced together from you know, a lot of it is actually came from Kevin, the basic filmmakers. He has a whole ethics statement and, and, and just sort of piecing together stuff. A lot of it, the things that just annoyed me or that rubbed me the wrong way that I had seen as many years of a, as a YouTube viewer and trying to do something that worked. Fortunately, over now, the time that it's been out, I have been tested on the ethics statement many times, and I've held true to it. No matter whether it's a small company or a big company, I've not deviated from that statement at all. So if you go to the website, which of course I'll put links in the show notes, but hi, my name is tom.com slash ethics. Uh, you can see everything there. You can also steal the ethics statement if you want. That would be totally ethical and modify it and do whatever you want with it if you want it as a template for yourself. But it's it's held up. It's held up really well. And it's been, I've talked about this before, it's been a really good litmus test for deciding who you actually do want to partner with and who you don't want to partner with. Because a lot of times I'll get reached out by, you know, I don't know, some shady company or whatever. And I, I'll just say, no, thank you. And that'll be the end of it. If it's something that I'm at all interested in, or think there could be potential there, or even if it's just like somebody or a company that I want to establish a relationship with, basically the first thing I do is send them to the ethics statement part of the website and see if I hear back from them. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes that's it. We just never never talk again. But for the most part, for all of the 
for the actually 100% of the companies and people who have gone through that said, yes, that sounds good. It's been great, whether it's something like, you know, being able to work with Artlist to do sponsored stuff or just establishing relationships with companies and brands and people that aren't even on like my YouTube channel. It's not like it's a sponsored thing or whatever. And just it's been nothing but helpful. And even just yesterday, uh, I don't have a lot. I knew a lot of, you know, road reviews, R-O-D-E, the, the audio company and talk about their products a lot, but I don't really have like direct connections to Rode as it, sometimes I get asked if I do. I've met a couple people from the company over the years, but I, it's not like, I'm not, you know, super chummy or anything. And just yesterday I got an email from someone who was like stepping into a new role as like community manager, I don't know, marketing person. And they were like, hey, you know, there's a thing, there's, you know, do we want to work together on something? And even though Road is a company I've worked with for a long time, I've definitely had them read my ethics statement. We've talked about it many times because this was a new person at that existing company. First thing I did was like, great to meet you. Here's the link. And of course, he's, you know, on board with it. But it's been a really good litmus test. And now I've seen other people take it and modify it. And it's worked out really well for them. And I'm super proud of it. So that's that's cool. However. It's so easy to have ideals and to have values and to have ethics if you don't actually have to test them. If you just say, this is what I believe, this is what I would do, but you never actually have to, you know, stand up to that. It's very, you can, you can have all the ethics in the world. And what's interesting about the video that, that I want to go over today is to hear from, I, the crazy thing about YouTube is I'm not even familiar with Mr. Who's the Boss, but he has like 10 million subscribers. So it just shows the crazy scale of YouTube where there's these huge worlds that you can just be unaware of. But I, I like what I have seen so far. And obviously I've been a fan of Marquez Brownlee for many, many years. And so the two of them coming together to talk about this thing are, are two like juggernauts on the platform who not only have influence with companies and brands and viewers, but have influence on the platform. For most of us, you know, if we make YouTube videos or we quit a YouTube channel, YouTube doesn't care. It's not going to move the needle at all. But for creators at that level, it is a little bit different. Like they, they do sort of have the power, as Heather says, to shift and direct the platform. And, you know, they're the ones that kind of do forge a path that the rest of us end up I don't want to say following, but being affected by is probably a better way to put that. And so to have two creators at that level talk about these things, which they were shockingly candid in how they approached it, which makes me think they could potentially be damaging reputations and relationships with brands. And they called brands out by name in it, which is super refreshing <laughs> you know uh, i really liked that and that was cool and it was neat to see okay when push comes to shove there there it is because i can tell you you know at my level the ethics statement has definitely stopped things from happening there have been times where companies want to review videos and i say sorry i don't review the videos okay that ends the project there have been times when people want you know we'll send you something awesome for free if you make a video about it i'm like i don't do i don't do videos for free products sorry there have been times with embargo stuff, which we'll be talking a lot about today, where it's like, even if it's an awesome company and an awesome product, but they want to do an embargo video. And I'm like, I don't really do embargo videos. It'll fit into my content calendar. 
and I'll put it out when it seems like it would be best for my audience, but I have no idea when that'll be. That could be two weeks. It could be a month. I'm not sure. And they're like, sorry, you do the embargo or you don't do this. It's like, well, then I guess I'm not doing it. Okay. And you know, I've definitely lost money uh, from doing that, but that's fine because that's kind of the point of having the statement in the first place is to be a guide. And I've had friends with larger channels and, and larger opportunities to monetize turn down pretty significant chunks of money, you know, five figure, five figure sponsorships, because it just didn't, not that anything wrong was happening, but they just didn't, they either weren't comfortable with it, the terms of it, or it was a good product or service, but they just didn't really use it. And so, you know, it just didn't feel right to to say yes, even though it would have been nice to have that payday. And when you're talking about creators at the level of, you know, five to 10 million subscriber channels, there's a really good chance that when there's a sponsorship on those channels, the amount of money being exchanged for that sponsorship is in the six figures. Like, I would think 100,000 is pretty minimum for that. And for people to then want to stick to their guns and potentially turn down a sponsorship or, I don't know, say ruin a relationship by being honest, but yeah, by saying honest things that are then maybe going to negatively affect their relationship with the company, that's a lot harder to do than when it has no effect. And you're like, I'll never, I'll never sell out. And it's like, that's cool. But like, when has the opportunity popped up yet? You know, like, that's the people who say, if I won the lottery, I would not change my lifestyle at all. And then they come into money later in life and like, actually, I need a gold car, it turns out, it, it, which would get terrible gas mileage because it would be so heavy. But that's neither here nor there. Point is, it's really cool to see creators at this level sort of um, walk the walk and talk the talk. And it's inspiring and motivating to me. And I hope it's also interesting to you. So that's what we are, that's what we're going to talk about today. So the video is called How Tech Companies Manipulate the Media featuring Marquez Brownlee. And it was published on August 31st. And it's up to 2.3 million views. So lots of people have seen it. It's on Mr. Who's the Boss's channel, but it's a half and half between him and Marquez. So the description of the video is pretty short and it just says, these are the five key ways that tech companies, Samsung, Xiaomi, OnePlus, Apple, etc., try to control the narrative of the media. Thanks to Marquez for his time on this too. So we'll just dive straight in. Uh, the first one, they, they broke it into five points. And the first one is something I've never really talked about, which is giveaways. So here is uh, the start of the video talking about giveaways. Tech companies have figured out how to squeeze the most positive, favorable coverage out of YouTubers and journalists. And to be honest, I think it's time you knew about it. So I've been working with Marquez, MKPHD, to lay out the five key ways that these tech companies manipulate the media. Now, one thing that seems to be increasing at an alarming rate is giveaways with the launch of reviews. Now, don't get me wrong, giveaways can be a great thing, but companies have quickly realized that by partnering up with influencers like us to make giveaways as part of our review videos, they can massively reduce the negativity surrounding their product. You probably remember these nothing ear ones, right? Well, as part of their hype generation strategy, they did exactly this. They even asked me, and it's tempting, because like, how often does a company say to you they're going to make you a hundred custom versions of their product for you to give to your audience? Okay, so I'm gonna pause right there. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because a part of this video talks about taking things out of context, so I feel weird just showing snippets of it and not the whole thing, but you know, 
I can't just play the whole video on my podcast. That would be stealing and that would be unethical. So here we go. We're talking about giveaways to do with launching of products. And the example he's giving with the nothing earbuds, if you saw those, there was a big, I had, I don't pay attention to earbud stuff, but the, I saw those things everywhere. They're like little, you know, AirPod competitors and the brand is called nothing. And they were everywhere. Like they ran such an aggressive marketing campaign. And then I think they've come out and I have heard nothing about them since. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be Googling at that. But what um, he's showing here is that they sent him an email saying, we will give you 100 devices with custom branded packaging for a 100 unit giveaway auction plus, you know, sponsorship details and stuff like that, which, I mean, that sounds pretty cool to go, wow, I could get, you know, if Rode was going to give me like 100 custom Rodecasters to give away, that's a pretty sweet deal. And that that's something that would be hard to do on your own as a creator to put something together like that. However, the problem is they wanted to do this with a launch of a thing, which is before he even had a chance to use the product. So they want these giveaways to be done before you even have a chance to actually, you know, form an opinion on it. And that's going to give a false impression to your audience, because if you're giving away, it's going to feel like a seal of approval, like a stamp of approval. And you're also putting yourself at risk because then people get it. What if it's terrible? And everyone's just like, okay, uh, I won this piece of junk from this person. It's really going to negatively color their view of you. And giveaways are really tricky in general. I've only done a couple of them because they are so tough. Logistically, they're really hard. There's a ton of rules you have to follow. Uh, It's really hard to organize a giveaway, even if you're just like, hey, I have an extra thing. Like, I want to give it away to someone just to help someone out. It's like there's a lot of hoops you got to jump through. And then the logistics of something like shipping even, you know, a lot of times if you have a global audience, shipping internationally can cost more than the product itself. And I have definitely found myself being limited to go like, hey, I want to do a giveaway, but it has to be United States only, which is a bummer because there's people watching from all over the world. And especially in some other places where the products aren't as readily available as they are here. So it would actually open up access. It would be nice if somebody could win from over there. But like, I just don't have the budget or can't afford to do that. It's frustrating. And and giveaways are also just hard because it's like, it's a lot of work and time to go ship something. It takes for freaking ever. Then you become customer service because you're the person like, here's the tracking information. And, you know, when is it going to get there? Is it there? And in my case, there have been so many times, there have been a couple times, which I'm very grateful for, where people will let me know that they actually got the freaking thing. But there's other times where you just sort of send it into an abyss and I just see like it says it was delivered, but I have no idea if the person actually got it. Like, did someone take it from their doorstep? Are they using it? Did they just put it up for sale on eBay? I guess part of that's none of my business. But it feels like, well, this was a lot of buildup for, I don't know, it doesn't feel like anything happened. It feels like I just spent $60 to ship something into an abyss. So when a brand or a company can step in to help you with a giveaway, it can be very tempting because they can take care of a lot of those issues. They can take care of like the rules, regulations, all that stuff. They can take care of shipping. If you know, you're giving a hundred branded packaging earbuds away here, the company is probably set up to not only ship, but ship internationally. So it, it makes it so much easier. You don't have to deal with any of that stuff personally yourself. That's great. And on the surface, that seems easy. However, 
as you probably know, you know, nothing is truly free. And a lot of it is like either weird stuff where, you know, to to enter the giveaway, people have to like do weird marketing stuff for the brand, follow the brand, subscribe here, whatever. I guess it's not the end of the world. It's not like any worse than signing up for a newsletter to get a coupon code or something. But it, it's just a little shady. And when there's a launch thing, like here's a launch video, this product is just coming out, plus a giveaway, it's really, really going to seem like you love that product. And in this case, it's something that he hadn't even had a chance to use yet, which is not great. And it, it's not, it's just, it, it's just marketing, it, it, you know, I mean, which we talked about last time, marketing is not inherently evil, but it is a tool that you can wield for good or for evil. And a lot of times it seems like companies, especially if they're trying to break into a competitive space or they're not confident about their product, their strategy just becomes noise. Just be as visible and loud as possible. And then it doesn't really matter how good the thing is. And in order to be loud and to be visible, they need people with audiences that they can commandeer to put the eyeballs and the ears on the product. And and that's basically it. So you're, in those cases, just becoming a mechanism for that to happen. It's not because something you're super excited about. If a company that makes a product that you love and that you use comes to you and says, hey, we want to do something. Do you have ideas for a giveaway? We could do a custom whatever. And, and it's it's genuinely like a collaborative thing. That could be beneficial for both sides because it would be genuine and you know authentic to you and what you make, but it would also be, you know, it'd be good marketing for the company. But that's a win-win. Kind of like last week we talked about the Lego movie. Like, I love the Lego movie. Yeah, of course, it's going to sell Lego sets. I don't care. It's still a super fun, super creative piece of art that is awesome. And if it also sells Legos, like, I don't really care. It's fine. So there's ways to do it. But each of these points are interesting to look at from the point of view of a viewer and a creator. So from a viewer, when you see these launch review giveaways, it should kind of make your spidey sense tingle a little bit like "Mm, something's a little fishy here and as a creator if you ever get approached to do one of these things you should also then be very aware of like is this a collaboration or are they just now am i just part of their marketing budget and that's pretty much it uh point number two (laughs) this one's funny it's a coming soon features so i'll play the video and you can see what they mean by that Okay, so the next version of this that I've seen is what I'll call the uh, coming soon feature. The feature that gets announced on stage and makes a lot of headlines and it's, it gets people very excited and it's super impressive. But it's it's not ready yet. It's, it's coming soon, later. But this thing was announced on stage and now you're holding it in your hand and it, it's not here yet. So you kind of just have to include maybe a sentence or two about it, about what it's supposed to do. So an example of this would be uh, when the iPhone 11 came out and that deep fusion feature was also announced on stage as one of the new camera features. So every written review and every video review had something in there that was basically at this point a quote from Apple about what Apple said deep fusion would do, but then it didn't come out for a while. And then of course, as you can imagine, weeks later when it did show up, It wasn't all that great. It didn't make a huge difference. But now all of those reviews, you know, the written reviews, you can go back and add a couple sentences, but the video reviews, you can't really go back and change. And those impressions of those quotes from Apple are stuck in people's heads. 
Okay. So have you ever seen a movie trailer and it has a scene or something in it that sticks out to you and you decide, I want to go see that movie. It's going to be cool. You're watching the movie and you're like, where's the, where's that part I saw in the trailer? Like the thing that actually made me want to come see here. It's almost like clickbait. This reminds me of that because it's when sometimes companies, when they announce products, they will be, they will have a feature or they will be really excited about something and they'll announce it. But it's, it's like Marquez just said, it's not quite ready yet, or it's not out of development. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't, it just doesn't get developed or doesn't come to light as quickly as they'd hope to be there for the release. If, you know, I guess nefariously you could look at it as like they knew it was never going to happen, but they just needed to make headlines by announcing whatever when the thing was announced. And the the most innocent version of that is they intended to, and it turns out, you know, developing stuff is really hard and there were just problems that happened and it it didn't come out on time. Point being, if a company announces a new thing and it has some killer feature like what he was talking about there, Deep Fusion was a thing Apple announced, which was supposed to be some crazy AI photographic, it was going to change the way the camera worked on the on everything, but it wasn't ready yet. So then the new phones came out. Everybody who made a review on those new phones had to mention it, not because Apple told them they had to, but because Apple made a big deal about it. And people who were watching those reviews and those videos wanted to know about it. So they everybody had to mention it. And then eventually it came out and it turns out like, I mean, your phone might literally have it right now and you probably don't know because it turned out not to be that big of a thing. Like it was just like, oh, the camera's a little better because every year the camera's a little better. Okay. But like he just said, you've already put out these videos. You've already put out this stuff that now those impressions and those thoughts that you had are permanently in people's perception of that product. That's a lot of alliteration. Permanently in the perception of the product. Prodigiously. And you you can't change that. If you're running a blog or whatever, you could edit your article, but the video, like, it's kind of already out there. And especially it doesn't matter if you could edit it because people have already seen it. So you've already sort of like built their impression. And because there was nothing for you to work with in a concrete way, you basically only have the company's marketing to go off of. This is what it's supposed to do. This is what the feature is supposed to be, what they claim it will do. But you don't get to actually see how it lives up to that or not. So it's like, it's almost a, a situation where it's absolutely ideal. Like the company's marketing gets to be what finds its way into the reviews because nobody has any choice for anything else. Which, tying it back to ethics statement stuff, I ha- I don't I don't I'm not a tech journalist. So when it comes to like tech YouTube, I always think of that a lot of it it has to do with like it's almost like you're covering things. Like here's the new releases, the new this, the new that. It's like you're a news journalist covering things. I personally don't fall into that category. You might if you're running like a tech channel or a tech website or something. I, I don't personally do that. So if you're not doing that, it gives you a little more freedom because you're not tied down by deadlines and stuff like that. But if you are trying to do that, then it's important for you to to be timely. You know, you, it's hard to be the person that shows up three months later with a thing that was already covered three months prior. And to take it back to the ethics statement, one of the lines in there is that I don't work with pre-production hardware or software. So sometimes a company will want to send something out to you and they'll say the hardware is not done yet. The software is not done yet. But, you know, here's a version of it that we're working with. You would, of course, have to say that in your video or your review or whatever. You'd have to make sure that's known. 
to me, that's not really helpful because it means like I'm using something, but it's not going to be the thing you would buy if you bought it because you're going to get the production version. I'm using a pre-production one. So a bunch of stuff could change. Something I like could go away. Something I dislike could get fixed. So it's it's like, it's just not that helpful. And this kind of comes down to that if you find yourself in a situation where you're doing, you know, you're you're talking about a product or service and there's a feature that's been named, but it's not out and available, it's a coming soon feature, I think it's very important to just be transparent of that and say, like, this also is supposed to have this. They say it's going to do that. I haven't used it. It's not out yet. Nobody's actually seen it in the real world. So I have no opinion on that yet. I'm just letting you know it's a thing that they said. Like, as opposed, like, making it very clear you're not just part of the marketing wing of whatever company you're talking about. Now, the next point is is my, I don't want to say my favorite, it's my favorite, least favorite one. <laughs> and and they go into this and I learned something that I didn't know. And we're going to talk about embargoes. So there's a couple parts to this. I'll just start the clip and then we'll pick it up from there. But it gets worse because number three is the absolute fiasco that is embargoes. Now, an embargo is not in itself a bad thing. It's just basically when a company says, don't publish your videos before this particular time on this particular date. That's why you see like 20 videos all at once when a product launches. Every reviewer has been given the same embargo time. But a lot of the time companies abuse this system with something called a dual embargo. They tell reviewers, okay, when we announce the product, the only videos you can make are first impressions videos. If you want to do any kind of in-depth coverage or any kind of comparison, then you have to wait for the full embargo, which is a week or two weeks later. I did not really know this. I knew about embargoes because I hate them. (laughs) And if you've been around for a while, you've probably heard me complain when something new comes out and your whole feed is just filled with 20 or 30 of the exact same video. It seems unfulfilling as a creator to do that. It seems ineffective from the companies. Clearly, it must be effective for the companies because they keep doing it. But it's like, geez, you know, let stuff trickle out a little more organically than just a wall of commercials. And I... My ethics statement has a specific line right at the end that says I do not participate in embargo releases. I've definitely lost opportunities because of that where companies, you know, I said just a few minutes ago, they'll ask, hey, this can come out on this date and time. And I'm like, that's cool. But like, I'll, you know, I'll put it out whenever. And they say, sorry. Sometimes they'll say like, could you put it out within a week of that? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't make that promise. Like, I don't know if that's the video I'm going to want to put out that week. So I can't. And then they say, okay, well, sorry. Goodbye. And that's just a thing that happens. So I've known that embargoes are a thing. I've actively avoided them for a long time because I find them annoying and ineffective and oftentimes inauthentic. But I did not know about dual embargoes. And this might be something that's just at a, when you get to a different level or something. But basically, there's a first impressions embargo. And, and once you know this, then you start seeing this everywhere, especially in the tech side of YouTube. So first impressions are... It's not just that you get to make a first impressions video. Later on in this segment of the video, they explain that the company will dictate what you can and can't say. So a lot of times these videos are relatively useless. And the point of a first impression video is that as the YouTube creator, you would get clicks because people are curious about the thing and they're going to click on it thinking that it's a review. Turns out it's not a review. It's just a first impression. However, you're, you're often so limited by the company that the first impression can't 
can't even go into depth on anything. If you've seen, like, Canon is slowly leading up to the announcement currently of a new camera called the R3, which is going to be like a pro-level camera. There have been a few first impression videos of the R3, but literally in the videos they say, I can't show you footage from this, I can't show you photos from it, I can't talk about the specs on it. You can just sort of see someone holding the camera. It's like proof that it exists, but that's also kind of BS because right over here to my side, I have a 28-year-old Canon L1, which is an 8 millimeter. It's actually the world's first interchangeable lens camcorder. And I don't know if it works because I don't have a battery for it yet to see if it even turns on. It's just an old camcorder that might not work. But if I'm doing a first impressions video, I could just tell you it's amazing and it shoots 12K and it has perfect autofocus and it makes your breakfast for you. And it also like fills any emptiness you might feel in your soul. I don't know. It's first, I can't, there's no proof that it does any of those things. And one of the examples, going back to those nothing earbuds, which I have no personal experience with, but geez, tell you, like, not impressed with the company after listening to this stuff. In their first impressions thing, they said you could talk about it, but you can't talk about the sound quality or the fit. Uh, so when you're talking about earbuds, you can't talk about what they sound like or how they fit in your... What else do you care about? Like, I, I care that maybe they come in a cool color or the charging case keeps them powered for three days or whatever. Like, I do care about that stuff, but if you're going to buy headphones, the thing you care about the most is what do they sound like and how comfortable are they? And so you're telling me someone can make a whole video about earbuds where they can't talk about what they sound like or how comfortable they are? What I mean, it's just a billboard. It's just totally an ad at that point. And you see that with first impression videos. Going back to the R3, they can't even show you the ports, which is important because I want to know if that camera has a full HDMI port because I think that's going to be a big indicator of how Canon views their video customers. Since the R5 has micro HDMI, to me, that's a big middle finger to the video people saying like, there's no reason that camera needs that tiny of a connector and it's virtually useless, but it's their way of saying, sorry, if you want actual video stuff, move into the cinema cameras. So if the R3 has micro HDMI, they're completely just giving the finger to the video community. If it has mini HDMI, it's kind of just like business as usual. If it has full-size HDMI, then they're saying we embrace the fact that there are video creators using this camera and we're trying to serve that community. I've been so curious about that for months, but the first impression videos literally can't even lift up the flaps and show you the ports that are like under the... It was useless. It's completely useless. But anyway, people get excited for products. So there's, in some cases, there will be an embargo on a first impression video. And then those will be very popular for a week or two. And then, you know, a week or two later, there will be another embargo for the full review video that gets to come out. So you have two waves of things, which then means that product will dominate, you know, headlines for a month because of all the coverage they're getting. And this is just the people who are working with the product like directly. This doesn't even go to the more like independent creators who are not working with the companies but are trying to keep up with the big channels, which is another reason I wanted to point this out is to see like all this stuff that's going on behind the scenes. The earliest reviews and things I remember watching on YouTube were the they were the most stereotypical like 2006, 2007, someone with a bad webcam, bad lighting, and they're literally just opening something up in front of the camera and like talking about it. I remember I was like, re I really wanted a MacBook Pro, but I couldn't 
afford one. So I was watching MacBook Pro reviews and it would be like just one long shot of somebody like opening the box, doing the thing, like tearing the label, taking the computer out. And they just have to hold it and turn it in front of the camera that's going in and out of focus. There's not like different angles and slider shots and call out graphics and stuff. And I'm happy that production value has increased from that because it's, I think it's better for everybody. But it also is different when you're watching a review where the person has is working with the company to produce it versus just somebody who's like, I bought this thing eight months ago and I've been using it. Here's what I think about it. And they're not connected in any way with the company. They can say whatever they want. And there's always that fine line when people will say like, and I've said this in my videos, you know, like the video's not sponsored, whatever, but maybe they sent the thing. Maybe in some cases there's money being exchanged. I would personally never take money to do a review video because that seems weird. Um, but sometimes you might get sent something for free or if you are doing a sponsored video and there's some high five or low six figures on the line and you're like, well, there's one feature kind of sucks, but you know, if I say that, then I could ruin my relationship with these people who are paying a whole bunch of money. That's where it's like you actually push comes to shove and you got to stick with stick with your ethics and your ideals that you put out there and that you committed to. And that's, it's going to probably be a little tougher when there's those kinds of temptations happening. But it also goes back to the independent creators who, who maybe it's either that they, they're aware of this and they just want to keep up with the bigger ones or they're not as, as aware of it. And what I mean by that is, so you have these embargoes, right? You have a first impressions embargo the first impressions videos will likely happen before the product actually is released to the public. So it's only people who have been given the thing, but the full embargo, the the full review is probably when the thing is actually released. And so these items have been sent to creators in advance to use and make the videos and have the videos ready on time. But I've seen so many people that I know personally, well, I mean, within the YouTube space, try to keep up with this by like draining their bank accounts and going into credit card debt and paying excessive fees for rush shipping so that they can get stuff on launch day delivered and they can try to crank out a video as fast as they can and exhaust themselves and stress themselves out. And it's like, that's, that's not what the other, those giant channels are doing. They've already had their stuff ready to go because they had it early and you're trying to keep up with something that's not even there just so you can like, fall in line with an embargo wave versus do things on your own terms, release it when it's right for you and your audience. And ultimately that's going to have a more positive impact than just being in a wave of commercials. I think that's my soapbox on the, on the embargo thing, but it's just so, it's just so, it's just so frustrating. And the full, the full review embargo, like, it's a thing that I don't like and I won't do, but I have known, I have had friends who do embargo stuff and they sometimes will have three or four months to work with a production level product before. And parts of me are like, I don't, there's nothing really wrong with that. Like you're working with the same product and firmware that the actual person who buys it is going to get. You're using it not just for a week, but for months in some cases that's an extended period of time to really get to know the thing. And then you put your video together and the video comes out whenever the thing is launched. I mean, it could actually be helpful, but my fear is that it actually then gets mixed in with all these crummy videos that are just 
essentially first impression videos because they just had to get out in time. And there's so much you learn about using a tool for an extended period of time versus like, it's just the next thing I'm testing right now. Okay, move on to the next thing, the next thing. And just, I don't, I don't find them. I just, it's, yeah, I just don't find that as helpful. So it's not that they're inherently evil. And it's not that like, if you were to ever do an embargo one, and I found out that I would feel disappointed in you (laughs) or anything. No, not at all. There's just a reason I have chosen not to participate in it. I'm happy with that choice. Other people choose to participate in it. And this video and this whole thing about dual embargoes and launch embargoes just really goes to show how much, it just goes to show that like there's such a spectrum between genuine authenticity and openness and honesty versus totally contrived just marketing lies and there's so much stuff in the middle and it's both as a viewer and a creator it can be tough to to navigate so we're going to move on to something else now uh, that i have not (laughs) dealt with because definitely not on that level but it has to do with interviews and exclusives so part of the marketing that sometimes companies will do is they'll reach out to highly influential people and they will offer interviews so this new product's coming out hey popular tech channel do you want to have an interview with our ceo you know or with the marketing person or whatever and well i'll just let you hear it from here the point is dual embargoes are gross and they prevent journalists from doing their job all right so another one and this one's kind of interesting actually, exclusives and interviews and things like that. It's sort of along the same lines as companies trying to turn organic impressions and evaluation into promotion for free. So you might've noticed on my channel, we've done a fair amount of interviews and really fun, sometimes even world exclusives that are amazing videos. They make for a great experience, both for the viewer and for myself. But at some point, Uh, the light bulb went off and people at these companies started to realize they could use these interviews as a sort of mask or just to use them to offset any negative PR. They could use them in orchestration alongside a product launch to minimize negativity. And so now these have become like a really interesting, delicate dance to walk because companies will approach you with uh, an interview they wanna do. I remember an example would be what OnePlus did with the Nord. When they were first going to announce this super hyped, ultra budget phone, the OnePlus Nord, OnePlus came to me and said, all right, Marquez, we have a world exclusive. We'll let you interview Carl Pei, co-founder, and you guys can talk all about this stuff. And what they wanted was a, you know, let's talk about the history of OnePlus and let's talk about why we're launching a new product line and this promo and that promo and this talking point. And so behind the scenes, I had to do a lot of twisting and a lot of messing with that plan in order to make a different video where it was still a fun exclusive interview, but we got to talk about the actual process of making a budget phone in general. We got real prices for different parts of a phone and how much they cost to manufacture, but that was a far twist from what they were planning on making, which would have been an ad. Okay, this is something, like I said, you probably have to be at a certain level before this becomes something. So maybe more as the viewer, it might be helpful to recognize this stuff. But basically, like Marquez just said, companies will reach out. It started kind of, you know, innocently where companies were reaching out to people and saying, hey, new things coming out, you wanna talk to CEO, you wanna talk to lead designer, you wanna talk to somebody, sit down and you talk to them and it's really cool. And then of course, it's like, oh, this could just be a marketing thing. So it's, you wanna talk about 
uh, you want to talk, you know, to the CEO, cool, we're only going to talk about this one product and how amazing it is. And that's not necessarily, it's, it's one of those things, it's like a large paycheck, it could be hard to say no to because you could view it, if you're that creator, you could view that as an opportunity to grow your channel, an opportunity to build relationships, to to establish some kind of, you know, legitimacy in, in a bigger space beyond simply YouTube creating, not that that's a bad thing. However, you're then just another cog in the marketing machine of you, you've, it's almost like the giveaways because you've done this interview, it's like you're giving your seal of approval because they see you. It was, it was like when Ellen hugged George W. Bush and everyone's like, wait a minute. This seems like now you're giving a seal of approval to, anyway, you kind of understand the, the controversy there. This is sort of like that. They see you sitting down with someone and they're going to say like, wow, you had an interview. You guys talked about how great this thing is. You must really like it because you're at you're talking to the person who was in charge of making it. And that might not be true. It could just be that's what the company said it had to be about. So I really admire that in this case, Marquez took the the effort to recognize that and then shift things to um, to not be that and to be more interesting, more helpful, more relevant which if the companies would pay attention to that is actually better marketing because you're going to learn a lot more about the company. You're going to touch more on like the passion and the excitement that they have for what they're making, the why behind they make what they make. And it's just going to be a lot more than just a commercial. Like now you're just sitting in this room telling us about the specs that we've already heard about. Who cares about that? Like let's learn more about the backstory and, and that side of things and so I'm glad he was able to push for that because I think that's more helpful in the end. But you can easily see how somebody who's either not as savvy or as good of a communicator or maybe not at that same level where they're willing. I'm sure he's probably had interviews get canceled and declined because, you know, he wanted to not just stay on the thing that they wanted to talk about. And if you're just kind of at that point where you're getting approached, that's where it's like it's. I don't want to say it's easy, but it could be tempting to step away from your ideals because you're like, well, if I just do this thing, I feel a little funky about it. But if I do it, then I build a relationship. If I if I hold true to my guns and they're going to say, no, we don't want to do that. And I lose the opportunity. And that's so much of it comes down to trusting your gut with anything, like not just YouTube videos, but anything. If you're doing something and you just feel funky about it, it's really important to to check yourself why. I one of my friends turned down um a $16,000 sponsorship with a company that was fine. Like the company was great. This the product, the service they offered is great. It's just not something he really used a lot, but it was great and they were like totally willing to be flexible with like well you could approach it this way you could approach it that way like they really really wanted to do this thing so much so that he he said no when they offered like $8,000 and they came back with $16,000 a few months later to do a really short video and it's so easy to think like well geez i just make one video and i get $16,000 are you kidding me but to get to the point where someone would pay you $16,000 for one video it takes a lot of work, countless hours, years of your time. It takes a lot to get to that point. And if you just start selling yourself for any anyone who comes in with a paycheck, 
it's very quickly going to crumble your credibility, your relationship with your audience. All that stuff that took so much time to build is going to crumble. And then all of those opportunities will go away because, you know, if those people won't be interested, they're interested in what you have, but they're not interested in helping you keep what you have built. You know, they just want to, they just want to take advantage of it. And as he and I were talking about that, because he was just sort of running it by me, like, this is happening. I'm not sure if I should do it or not. I feel kind of funky. It was sort of that same discussion of there was nothing really specific, you know, that that was like, oh, I don't want to do this for this very specific reason. Like, it wasn't, you know, here's the ethics statement. Here's a line that's violated. It's very clear. It was just, it was sort of a gray area. And it really came down to a gut instinct of like, I don't think I want to do this thing. If I were to do it, I think I would regret it. I think I would dread having to make the project. I think I'd be very miserable while I'm doing it. And I think I would just feel funky about it and not be confident in the thing that I put out. And saying no to that could be hard, but then there are other opportunities that will come also and probably better opportunity. It's it's a hard thing to do in the moment, but remembering that it's not just about cashing out one time, but you want the thing that you're building. If it's at the point where people are paying for it and paying you for it, it's something that you would ideally probably want to keep sustainable for a long time for the foreseeable future, not just for one paycheck. So a lot of it comes down to trusting your gut and paying attention to these opportunities that show up, like being able to do an interview with someone and recognizing that as like, I don't know if they want me to just interview someone. I think they want me to help them sell products. And as the viewer, when you see those remembering, like if you walk away feeling like, oh boy, that seems super cool. I'm going to go place my pre-order right now that maybe it's a good fit for you, but maybe you've also just succumbed to the effect of their marketing prowess. That sounded so fancy. All right. And the last one is very interesting because I think it's something we've all seen. I don't know if if had varying levels of dealing with it, but it has to do with things out of context. So to avoid playing this out of context, I will play the clip and then let let you see. It is very ironic that I'm just clipping a small segment of the clip where they talk about being taken out of context. But, you know, time is limited. Link to the full video in the show notes. When I make a review of a product, I spend a long time crafting that script. I try to make a a really tight, structured storyline that is meant to be watched from start to finish. And I like to think that this makes them useful videos to engage with. But it also means that if you just take one sentence out in isolation, it is not at all going to summarize the subtlety of what I'm trying to say. I'll give you an example. Late last year, I made a full review about that Galaxy Note 20 Ultra, and I titled this video, The Perfect Samsung. And what I meant by that, which I explained in the content itself, was that this was a brilliant phone, but it was let down by some of the fundamental problems that Samsung phones in general have. So I was kind of surprised to see that a week later, this title was sitting on Samsung's homepage, The Perfect Samsung. Those are my words, but when taken out of context, they mean something different. I spent a long time digging, and as far as I can see, they didn't tell me they were going to use that quote. But even at the very least, if they did, I would have expected them to at least link the full video from there, so people could understand what I meant by it. Nope. And there's plenty of other examples of this, one of the major ones being these mashup videos. 30 second or so quick fire cuts from various reviewers. 
very clear why they make these videos. They're short, they're sharp, and they leverage the trust that people have in these reviewers. But they chop out all the caveats. They'll cut videos mid-sentence to exclude any negatives, any buts they might mention, to make it seem like they've just created the perfect phone. Okay, uh, so this is one, I always think of movie trailers, you know, where it's like, <laughs> some critic could say like, this is definitely not the best movie of the year, and then the movie trailer will say, the best movie of the year. And it's like, well, I mean, they did say that, but that's not how they said that. And that's what he's talking about here. And it's interesting to use the example of Samsung, which is a pretty huge company. Basically, Samsung came out with a phone. He reviewed it. And like he said, titled it The Perfect Samsung, which is kind of a dig. It's sort of a jab at them saying like, it's it's kind of the best they can do because all their stuff is inherently limited. I don't, I don't use Samsung phones. I don't know about this. So please don't come at me for that. But but the point is, like, there's a criticism there. Like, it's the perfect Samsung, not the perfect phone. Very, very different thing. But they just took that, ran through it, front page, a website without permission, which I guess it's like, oh, you publish this publicly. Like, we can just use it without permission. I'm sure that that is probably true. But it does mean something entirely different, like he mentioned in the video, where it's like, I wasn't saying that this is the perfect phone. I wasn't... I. It's actually a criticism. But now the person's going to see that. They're going to see my name and a heaping praise of this phone, and they're not going to get the full context of what was happening. And then going into the mashup videos, I do, I've seen these a lot on like social media, on YouTube ads and stuff, where companies will then take those embargo videos. This is where you even get, I don't know if it's embargo videos for sure, but they'll take clips of reviewers, and they'll just do a mashup of everyone saying how great something is. Obviously, you're not getting the full context in those cases, because as soon as somebody's going to get to something critical, it just cuts to somebody else's video and somebody else's video. But now it looks like there's this whole stream of people, many of whom you might recognize that are, seems like they're endorsing this thing. And they might not even be aware that they're in that video because uh, the video was put out publicly, or maybe they did do some sort of sponsored thing or embargo thing. And at some point, they signed a line in a contract somewhere that said like, oh, we could, you know, show the video wherever we want on our social media, not meaning like, oh, take out a clip of it and do something like that. Also, don't know if you know this, but you can promote and sponsor any video on YouTube. So like, any company can go to anybody. If, if you make a review and a company likes it, they can run it as an ad without you knowing or your permission or you getting any money from that, which is super strange. And oftentimes that can be relatively harmless because it's just sort of like, okay, they're paying to promote your video. Sure. But it can also then seem like maybe you're running your own video as an ad or you're in cahoots with this company that maybe you're not actually even associated with all kinds of funky stuff like that happening but if you if you really look at this from like the most negative light and you look at the embargo videos where we're going to do a first impression embargo so here's the thing here's all the stuff you can't show about it here's the stuff you can't say about it so it's basically just going to be an ad because you're going to say here's the thing it does stuff here's the list of stuff that the people who made it said it can do and then they make you know whatever 15 or 20 people do those videos and then because those videos can't even be negative just by their very nature, they take clips from those videos, mash them up into something else that now looks like a supercut of all these influential people just heaping praise on this thing that at the 
time they'd never even like really used yet and that's gonna seem like what an endorsement and i'm sure it's really going to help them to sell extra products so oh there's so there's so much to unpack in that video and i really encourage you the full video is only 15 minutes long so if you've listened to an hour-long podcast you know go listen to the 15 minute video so you can get the full context of everything but it's very interesting both from the creator side of things and the viewer side of things and it doesn't mean that everything is inherently evil there's awesome marketing out there there's helpful stuff out there there's great reviewers out there it's just to me i think it's something important it was really cool to see creators at this level talk about it so openly i mean they're using brand names and actual examples Uh, i think that was hugely important and i think that it can bring awareness to people who might not be aware of it as much especially if they're more on the casual viewer side of things But I think it's also really cool to see some of the stuff that we talk about on this podcast pretty regularly, how that does apply to, to people, to people who are out there. They, you know, their, their ways of doing things, the lines that they will cross, won't cross and, and all those things. And obviously you need to establish that for yourself. If you were to copy and paste my ethics statement to your website, which I'm totally fine with, you can do that, but it might not suit you perfectly. There might be lines in there where you're like, I don't care about this. Why? Like, I'm totally fine with doing an embargo video, so delete the line. Or there might be something that I don't talk about that is really important to you. And you want to make sure that that's in the, you know. So it's very important as you go through your journey as a creator and whatever whatever medium that you you do develop these guidelines and having it in a printed or published accessible format, I have found to be hugely beneficial because it's not just this weird thing that's living in my brain that I have to remember like, yeah, I like this. I don't like that. This is what I do. This is what I don't do. And it's not just some cryptic like document on my computer that nobody else sees. And it's not some, you know, behind the scenes thing that I have and only a brand sees, but the person watching doesn't get to see or be aware of it's, it's, for everybody. So having it open and published, I think is awesome because it's a great reminder for you. You can go there anytime and remember, you know, what what things are, you can update it. It's where you can send potential partners. And it's where anyone who's interested can just go and see for themselves. Everybody's looking at the exact same thing. We're not looking at different versions of something. And I think that is hugely helpful and hugely important. And it can feel sometimes, especially if you're somebody who wants to do like sponsored content and brand collaborations, it can feel like you need to bend the knee to these organizations, to these companies, to these corporations. But it's important to remember that you don't need to do that. You do not work for them. You are in charge of your own thing. You are the one who built it up to what it is. And they are trying to capitalize on the thing that you built. So it better be on your own terms And I don't think you should sacrifice that. And the people who are worth collaborating with and worth working with will agree with you on that because they'll want to support you and it will be in line with what they're doing. And it'll just be a better relationship versus just everyone's out to try to make like the quickest dollar possible. So don't be afraid to stick to your guns. Don't be afraid to follow your gut and don't be afraid to stick to those ideals even if it means losing an opportunity or what feels like shutting a door because other things will open up down the line and those will be the better things that you will want to be able to say yes to. So that's my soapbox for the week of talking about 
more online creation ethics and stuff. So thanks so much uh, for listening. If you want to support the show, there's links in the show notes. You can always join Patreon or buy me a coffee or YouTube channel memberships, all these all these different ways, whatever works for you. Or, of course, the easiest and bestest way to support is just to listen. And hopefully you enjoy it because you're giving me the gift of time, which is the most valuable resource that there is. And if you have thoughts or anything you want to share about anything I've talked about today or even just something else that has popped into your mind, feel free to send a text, voice, or video message to Tom at enthusiasmproject.com. And I appreciate you listening. Hope you have a great, happy, healthy, fun week, and I will see you next time. 